Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, and so we should just, like, call up our mamas (laughs) and ask them what do they advise and, you know, sort of sit with this because, you know, there's always another option, often more better often better than the one that we first thought of. And we are so excited to have in the studio two really, really wonderful women who um, are bringing much wisdom and much culture and have been doing this for so many years. It is just like, wow, they just keep on moving, moving through the world, just dropping goodness every time they look in a certain direction. So thank you so much, Mama Naomi, uh, Naomi Aguero-Duff. Um, Artistic Director of Diamantacora West African Dance Company, to be joining us again. You're one of our favorite guests. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning, Wanda. Good morning. Yeah. And, oh, man, uh, Mama Mabiba. How do you pronounce your last name? I don't want to mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again, little floor. Ba-e-ni. Oh, how cool. And it's been like many years since we've had you grace the airways. Like, okay, so we're going to have to like do a to be continued because we're not going to be able to like, we're going to just get started when it's time to like say, oh man, next guests are in the studio. You know, and so anyway, I'm not going to even think about the end. We just started. So um, (laughs) I am going to um, read your bios and then um, Mama Naomi, you can go ahead and tell us about Collage in its what twenty sixth year? Oh my goodness! But also, I want you to tell yes. us about the um, the Living Cultures um, NEA Fellows program that we were able to watch last week. That was so beautiful, and it's like you representing the Bay. You're also representing the African diaspora, and we're like, we know her. We know where they are dancing. We can go down there, like yeah. You all are just like then. You're just sort of like feeling all like, oh, man, we're so sad. Um, but we, you know, you are a treasure here with us, you and Papa uh, Papa Zach. Thank you. So we were like so happy to see you, you know, you. on a national screen. Oh, man, that was so beautiful last week. So I want you to tell us about that, too. 
So we will start with you, since I'm talking about you, Mama Naomi. Um, besides being the artistic director of Diamantacore West African Dance Company, you have assisted and choreographed works for numerous performing companies, including uh, Dutch Theater Van um, Austin in the Netherlands and Belgium, and UC Berkeley's Drama Department. In 1998 and 1999, you collaborated with the San Francisco Ballet in the premiere of Lambarena, an African and classical ballet fusion piece for the ballet for Utah, Pacific Northwest Ballet, Ballet of Florida, and Singapore and South African Ballet. A strong advocate for arts in education, you have worked with the arts in education program in San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Oakland, Richmond, and Alameda school districts to promote cultural literacy. You were named one of America's top teachers in the Who's Who Among American Teachers, and you have received numerous awards and recognition. You also teach at Laney College and the Malanga Cascalor Center for the Arts in Oakland, California. And in addition to being an educator, you also consult and conduct workshops in costume design, cultural events, program coordination, and West African culture. And are you still um, as a uh, are you still a part of the um, Ailey Camp? Because I I know you used to. Um, be one of the principal um, teachers there as well, P- particularly when I retired. started. You retired? I retired. Oh, wow. Yes, I retired here the same year that I retired from Berkeley High School. When did you do that? I didn't get invited to the party. You retired? Really? <laughs> oh, <laughs> so do I. Oh, yes. my goodness. Well, congratulations, because it don't seem well, like you stopped you moving. So you retired. Whoa. Uh, Okay. <laughs> oh, just, just from those, I move on to something else. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Your long, your long bio is is still long. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're shortening it for this show because we want to get in the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and your good mm-hmm. sister friend, um, Mama Mabiba. Oh my gosh. You are an internationally acclaimed dancer, dance teacher, and choreographer of traditional and contemporary African dance. You were born in Congo, Brazzaville, and you were initiated into dancing by your grandparents at the age of eight. You're a pro- you're a protege. My goodness, protege. Uh, in addition to your Congolese dancing, you have studied West African jundun, drumming, with master drummer Famadou uh, Konate. Yeah. In Guinea. And you were the mm-hmm. first woman to teach this form in the United States. And I was, like, looking, and I'm like, I need to, like, next time you join me, I need to be playing one of your pieces. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to send me some music so I can, like, have it already ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. I feel so bad, like, not playing something of yours. Um, you're also an acclaimed singer, and you toured and recorded with Salif Keita, Master drummer Mama De, Mama D is it Mama D Mama Day Mama Yeah Mama Day Keita and Sambungo Sambungo does Sambungo still live here in the Bay Area Yeah Okay Yeah Cool Okay and then Mama Mabiba is also the founder of Lacole in Reno um what Nevada How yeah. do you pronounce it Lokole Locale. That sounds much better to pronounce correctly. Locale. <laughs> <laughs> a dance organization 
which helps teach and preserve Congolese culture through dance and music. And uh, do you have a new website? What's your website for your for your for your um organization? No, my web my website is down now. I need to redo it because I didn't do anything for a while now. Um, okay. So I will I will do it and let you know now that I have you. Okay, super. Yeah. All right, thank Hold you. Me. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Mama Naomi, take it away. Well, uh, I, I guess the first thing we were talking about receiving <laughs> uh, the National Heritage Fellowship uh, through the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Council of Traditional Arts was really, I mean, an honorable, you know, I mean, really exciting thing for, you know, Papa Zach and myself. It was a great surprise. We were nominated by Amy Kushner and Lady Karatsi of the Alliance for Traditional Arts, who have been mm-hmm. a long, long-time supporter of Zach and I and the Amanokura. And the Lifetime Achievement Award is the nation's, you know, highest honor in folk and traditional arts. That's why it was so, you know, it was so exciting. And it began in 1982. And just mm-hmm. to let you know how exciting it was, B.B. King has received this award. Mm. Uh, Mary Jackson, mm. Wally McCray, Marvin Staples, oh, Sister Das, may his show rest in peace, and, you know, many other people. In this round, actually, I was, you know, we were with William Bear back in the day, William Bear, you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean... It was exciting to see the program and watch even the other nominees. So, yeah, you know, I mean, the other awardee fellows, to mm-hmm. yeah, the history, it was such a rich history, you know, for the, for the for America, you know. So, I mean, it was a wonderful surprise, and it was so exciting, and, and life worth, you know, it was like, oh, yes, finally. You know, somebody recognized us. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, yeah, that was the national. There was this award. It was really memorable, and it was still remain. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially since it was film capture on film, is going to be in the archives forever. Mhm. Yes. Yeah. Mhm. Right. Yeah. And tell us about um, you know, uh, the Amanakora's um program this weekend, um, March 12th through 14th, they're going to be, um, you're going to have a lot of uh, wisdom uh, bears and keepers oh, yes. conversations, oh, as well yes. as getting into your body, folks, and doing this dance, doing that drumming. Yes. Even though it's going to yes. be virtual, it's going to be working. Yes. You're going to be working out. Yes, <laughs> yes, you know, and it's an interesting thing because you know with us, our art is based on the relationship we, you know, get with each other in living spaces, you know, in present. So, I mean, making the 26th collage virtual, yeah, it's a new experience, but, you know, it was something we had to wrestle with, and we wanted to maintain the idea of consistency, you know, and also, I mean, it was a place we felt, yes, we need to move with the times. We need to get, you know, uh, on board with technology 
And most important, again, is the idea of consistency. We wanted to make sure we continue the tradition of maintaining collage. So we decided to go virtual, having a platform called Excel Events. So that's what we're going to use. And yes, the whole idea of the state of African dance and music, wisdom bearers and keeper, is to also keep that information going, that knowledge going, because we want to always honor our elders, but we always want to let people know there is always a generation coming behind us, and we always have to think about the next generation. So in this, we have nine workshops on like the 17 we normally have. And we have three panel discussions and a performance showcase. Now, the workshops are we kept it at a very minimum cost, so people it can be affordable. The panel discussion and performance we 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 maintain is free to the public because we want people to get this knowledge that we always want to impact. And this is on this platform, this virtual platform, we feel it's a great place, you know, to have the discussions. Babiba is one of the panelists on our elder panel for the first day. And we have, you know, Asa Conte, Yusuf Kumbasa, Papa Zach will be there, and then we have our young panelists, you know, that are for the second weekend, second panel, it's on March uh, 14th. That's our young dancers. And you have Ibrahim Anjou, Carol Mack, who, you know, was one of the choreographers for Coming to America, too. We have KJ Janelle, who does fabulous uh, Afro pop, Muisi Congo. And then we have our musicians. We always have to bring our musicians on March 20th which is Kiazi Malongo, Amadou Kuyate, who plays beautiful Cora, Madio Juf, Widi Brahma, well, you, you know, well-traveled Maget So, who works with Angeli Kido, and Mallory Moore. And so, you know, uh, you know, our teachers, I mean, we, Danda Dehora, Patrienne Edwards from Trinidad, coming from Trinidad. She's going to conduct her class in Trinidad. Ibrahim Ajouf, our next generation teacher, Jennifer Sako from Mali, EDC, Senegal, Asan Conte, as I said, Alassini Suma, and of course, the extreme, Madiba Banye, the sister of sisters, <laughs> mothers of mothers. Yes. Wow. And so that's our virtual collage this year. Right, yes. And and how do people um, you know, you know, join this, this platform and get tickets? do they go to your website? And if so can you give it to them the the website address? Or if they're phone numbers you can give them the phone the web you know, is on the website. Uh okay. and that's B I A M A N O C O U R A dot org. Okay. Awesome. Again, awesome. Right. Yeah. Okay, super. We want to spend the last um, you know, part of our conversation talking about um women in your lives, you know, who have inspired you to do the great things that you do, like sort of um they talk about sort of the importance of of the mother of women 
in the world and in our lives. <clears throat> However, the way that women are treated is not necessarily representative of, of quote, our value, right? So so I was wondering, um, uh, Mama Mabiba, maybe you could talk a little bit about, about your work, you know, as as choreographer, as a culture keeper, as a drummer, as a singer, you know, as an African woman in the diaspora. Where are you calling us from right now? I'm calling you from uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, yeah, the place where the Mormons yeah. are, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, dope. Yeah, you know, you think about Utah, Salt Lake City. Um, yeah, you think do black people live there? <laughs> do African oh, people yeah. live there? Oh, are you the only I mean. one there? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you have black people here. Okay, <laughs> so many okay. black people. And yeah. you know them all, right? <laughs> um, I don't even know half of them. You know, you oh, have wow, the a lot of black people from East Africa, from uh, Central, mm-hmm. from West, uh, mm-hmm. from South. Yeah, all of the Africa. Oh. Yeah, well, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot. Before okay. it was not, but now, yeah, a lot of lot mm-hmm. of us were here. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. How do they treat you? Uh, to tell you the truth, honey, since this COVID-19, I'm home. I don't even go out. <laughs> I go out to go, see, to go do my my errand, and I come back. I'm just staying home because you never know, you know. Mm-hmm. So right. we, we talk, talk on the phone. So everybody is hanging in there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. 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 So, so talk to us a little bit. Well, you know, uh, like you say, I was born in the Congo, and I was born in the family. My father's side, they um, they are the wrestler. So my grandfather was a big wrestler, and then my mother was a dancer. And I didn't know about it until I got to be a dancer. So finally my dad told me. And then uh, my grandpa he was thinking then, uh, for my mother's side, was thinking then uh, I may be going to be uh, home to the village and then, you know, take over whatever my mom left. And then I was like, uh, my dad was like, oh, no, she's going to school. So, and then um, even that, I went home, and then I was like, eight. And I remember I still having this image in my, in my mind when I, my grandfather, he was a, um, a dance in the village. My father always sent me there. And I went over there, and my grandfather started talking, but I don't remember what he was saying. He started talking, 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 and everybody really just got quiet, and I just feel my name. And then he took um, the spear my mother was dancing with, and then I planted in front of me and said, this is your way to go. So since then... You know, I I um, came back and I didn't tell my father, but my father knew about it anyway. And and then when I turned 18, I that was the call to, for me is to be a dancer. And my father, as a all the father, everybody they want me to be a doctor, an engineer, or whatever. You know, but the call for me was to be a dancer. So I enrolled myself at the Conservatory of Movement uh, back home in the Congo. 
that was in the 70s. And then uh, um, what happened is then uh, that enrolled immediately National Dance Group. So I started traveling with that dance group. You come to find out it was the first national dance group of the Republic of Congo. We were thinking then uh, the other one who came to Europe for the same, that was the first one. No, the director told us, no, you guys be the first, first, very first uh, national dance group. I was like, oh, wow, okay. So from there, I started singing a little bit. I was singing in the, in the, sh- in the show uh, a little bit. And then to make it short, I got uh, to sing with one of the big singers who passed away, Jacques Lubello. And then all of this is like between 70 and 80. So I started singing with him. We went, National Dance City went to Cuba, went to Nigeria, went to all those festivals. And then when we went to Cuba, that really shocked me. Um, I got there, you see those people on stage, it's so full of life. And then when we were seeing some of them on, you know, in the street, it was just like uh, emptiness going on. They were happy, don't get me wrong, but something was not really, so I came, I went home, I said, if he's that, then, so my dad was right. I'm not going to do it anymore. So I wrote a letter to the uh, Ministry of uh, Culture to say that I'm, I'm going to stop. So they told me that you're working for your country, you don't have the right to stop. So if you stop, you throw you in jail. I said, just throw you in jail. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what saved me it was then I was singing with Jacques Lubello, and then we did the first part of Taj Mahal at the embassy of uh, America in the Congo, in Brazzaville. Mm-hmm. And then we got the grant from uh, UNESCO to come to Europe. So, and then from there, I just, you know, started doing more dancing and singing and all of this until I got here in 1992. Uh, but it was really a rough, rough, rough road because uh, our brothers, I don't say all of them, but some of them, you will see now, you want to be a dancer, you want to be a, a drummer or a singer from Africa, you're going to go through some. If I'm saying the truth, Naomi, you can say, you can go through from some aerial hard, 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 hard times. You know, it's telling you, yeah, you're supposed to have baby and stay home. This is not a job for a woman. Oh, yeah, you're supposed to have stop because drumming is not made for a woman. And I mean, it's just like, we went through that, but I just say, you know what, if, if this is what I'm supposed to do, if this is what the ancestors want me to do, I'm going to keep doing it. You like it or not, that's the problem. I'm going to keep doing it. So, and then I got here. Uh, same thing happened, but I got the support of um, uh, Yamalonga, who passed away. I really, uh-huh. Yamalonga really, really uh, was there supporting me and telling me, no, you want to do it, keep going. Don't be such anybody else. You know, that man, um, talking about him, I always bring some tears in my eyes because he really, 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 really did something for the Congolese here. The platform was already here. 
in in um, in California. I didn't come and say that I started something. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. My longest class of things already in California before I get there. The platform yeah. was there. I just came yeah. and took a little bit what I know. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. You know, like uh, my sister Naomi said, yes, we're getting old. We're not young anymore. So we yeah. need to encourage our youngest one to keep mm-hmm. doing it. Because if we stop and then mm-hmm. if we don't, we don't do it, that, that form of Hope you're going to die, or it's going to take away, it's going to be taken away by some other people, and then it's going to be totally transformed. It's already transformed, but we need to keep just doing it. We need to just keep, you a woman, you a man, we need to come together. That's why I love collage, because collage, we come all of us together. It doesn't matter you from north, south, east, west, central. No. You go there, you feel like you're really in the community. Same thing mm-hmm. with conference. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really have this respect for my, deep, deep respect for my sister Naomi and Zad and Asan and then all of us who are doing the, the, this um, classes, uh, this uh, culture here to keep it going. So then you wonder, either that's what we can stay here all day and we don't have enough time. <laughs> but but the, 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 the reality is then, I'm really, really, really happy Then uh, I'm always part of collage. You know, when uh, my sister called me, say, we're doing the virtual. We laugh about it. I say, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Who was knowing one day we're going to do the collage on Zoom or Internet? We were laughing about it. But hey, like she said, we need to, you know, get in the, in the train, stay in the bike. We need to get in the train. Let's move on. Let's just keep on here. Yeah, so, you know, but I think now a lot of men, a lot of our brothers, they're really accepting then, uh, okay, uh, women can do something about this culture. And then I know we are on there, but we are the one who's really pushing in it out there. You know? But, so that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, and just to get on what uh, Sister Mabiba is saying, I mean, you know, I always, I used to tell my young female students, I say, you know, women, women rock. And they would always look at me and they would laugh, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, because it was so emphasized to them that women have so much power and women have always had so much power, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so today when I hear, the, you know, the issues about, you know, women have to take their place, women have to change and whatnot, you know, women have always had power. And I think, you know, I believe it's a conscious effort on women's part sometimes when they decide to let, I call it the maternal instinct come to the mm-hmm. forefront, and because of their maternal instinct coming to the forefront to take care of people, to let give people room, I think people, over the centuries, people have mm-hmm. misunderstood that women do not have power. 
But that is not the case. If you look through history, many of the movements were led by women, were continued by women, where men fell by the wayside, mm-hmm. you know. So I told yep. my students that for them to always know, you know, like beautiful, beautiful, I call them chocolate babies, yes? But, mm-hmm. you know, I told them, I said, you are so beautiful, but you have the power. You need to go within yourself. Go back to your ancestors and find that power. But it is in it's you nice. still because that memory is in your body, mm-hmm. you know. But they were they were always looking at me and say, oh, Mama Naomi, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But. But I just always say that as we're talking about women. You know, I always want to let women know you do have power. It has mm-hmm. always been there. You yeah. just have to go and reclaim it. Yeah, what you already it. know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that like, when I came here, I didn't come here by myself. It's Sambango yeah. who brought me here. Mm-hmm. I came here, he told me, say, you have the power Mm-hmm. To do anything you want, that's Sambango. Mm-hmm. He said, You have the power to do anything you want mm-hmm. because woman, mother, is mm-hmm. the one who is really keeping this world going. Mm-hmm. If we don't have woman, nothing gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And I always mm-hmm. yeah. that yeah. from Sambango who told me mm-hmm. that when uh, he brought me here, that's the first thing he mm-hmm. told me. He said, This country. Is a free country mm-hmm. for everybody. So you can do whatever mm-hmm. you want, but respect mm-hmm. you and respect mm-hmm. anybody you work with. Mm-hmm. If not, mm-hmm. you, he's going to turn around and he's going to come and be facing you, and you need to deal with that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's two men, Malonga and Sambango. Who was that? And then I met in, in Naomi and I met Maribas, mm-hmm. and I was like, whoa! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, battle for women. There you go. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was it was really really a high opener for me because in Europe is another is another um, thing going on there, but here mm-hmm. also it's really different. So. Being between those two continents, I really um, learned a lot about mm-hmm. what I'm doing and what I'm supposed to do. I, you know, I'm praying that uh, God gives me more time and then I can, mm-hmm. you know, try mm-hmm. to keep spreading it and then that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, Mama Naomi, why don't you give the information again about um, about collage and um, and did you tell um, uh, the uh, our audience about the um, well? I guess you could let them know about uh, your play that's going to be happening at the end of the year because you know you have these mm-hmm. two big programs. You have the one in March, and you have the, the- theatrical um, piece in in uh, in November. And so, um, twenty. If you want to sort of give a preview of that, what's to come? Because my other guests haven't jo- haven't joined us yet. So we have a few more minutes. Oh, uh, uh, let me see. The play that we are going to work on. 
Yeah, you mentioned. I thought I saw somewhere um, that there's a play about the young drummer. Um, oh yes, yes. You know how we are talking about the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, taking yes. over, and that is my path right now. People ask, "Well, are you choreographing?" I say, "I'm doing collaboration with the young people because that's part of African tradition." You have to be the mentor, you know, to the next generation and guide them. So um, there are, you know, Ibrahim Ajif, of course, my son, beautiful dancer, you know, oh. is the choreographer of the young drummer. And because his inspiration, he's always telling me, is to incorporate, you know, the tradition. He always incorporates in the tradition. But then he also tells me we have to capture also the generation now because we want to bring them into African culture, African history, for them to understand that's where their power lies. So the the young drummer, you know, is a competitive type of thing. It's about, he said, you know, young people listening to their elders. And if you listen to the elders, you learn a lot. Then you can move on to foster a life of your own because you have the foundation. So the idea of the young drummer, this drummer, drummer, dance drummer, is that there is this young drummer who is eager eager, you know, to take control. And mm-hmm. as the drum is happening with the elders, he always jumps in and just try to take over, you know. Mm-hmm. And the elders will tell him, young man, you have to take time, wait your turn, listen first, you know. Yeah. But yeah, And basically, so that is this story. But his message is the tradition comes from the elder, then the young people can find a path for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's that dance drama, yes, in November, and hopefully it will be post COVID, and you know it will be in the theater. If not, virtual. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right, cool, super. Yeah, yeah well, excellent. Well, thank you um, so much, both of you, for. Um, for joining us today to talk about Thank about you. your lives and your work and and the recognition yes. that that you um you deserve that is um you know took too took a long time but we're so happy that you know mm-hmm. that yes. getting the kind of recognition that you deserve yes. um Mama Naomi um you know yes. as you know world renowned um you know cultural arts uh institution mm-hmm. you know that we we're yes. really happy that you know um you know sort of is grounded mm-hmm. and and situated here in the San Francisco Bay Area, but certainly reaches has a reach mm-hmm. that's a lot wider and a lot further. You know, given you know the kind of support and kind of luminaries you have coming through, like Mama Amabiba, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. for these these other programs, it's like, oh yeah. You know, everybody, other people know you all. <laughs> You're not stuck. You choose to be here, which is which is really yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yes. yeah. So I was wondering, um, as as you leave, uh, as you depart, would you like to maybe call some names of some of the ancestors that, you know, are, you know, that whose lives, um, you know, impact you? You know, people that you mentioned, um, you know, in your in your stories about, you know, yourselves and how you came to be who you are presently. Um, that would be really super. 
Mabiba, you you go. I have I have uh, already the name you call me Mabiba. That's my grandfather. So mm-hmm. ah. Mabiba, yeah, yeah, is to yeah. honor him. So yeah, mm-hmm. Mabiba, and then here is uh, Malonga. So you know mm-hmm. me. The, uh, yes. The, the yes. Yes. Yeah. And then my yeah. father, because my father yeah. was a big supporter mm-hmm. of me by mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Thank you, and, 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 I, and I would say, yeah, every, every day I'm calling on my ancestors because yes, I do not move without them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even with COVID, I, it's even more important to always make them present because mm-hmm. this is how I feel we deal with COVID. We survive COVID. So I always call all my ancestors, you know, that means boa, you know, get a kuya, you know, nyenazi, all the, you know, so many of them, you know, and even the ones that, you know. It's just one. I mean, it's just one. But every day you call on the ancestors, you know, to protect you, guide you, and the other people, you know. So, yeah, that's a constant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, you all take good care and look forward to um, seeing you. you this weekend um, in right. uh, in class as well as uh, yes. in conversation. It's going to be really, really yes. excellent. So, um, I'm going to leave it. What, what, what day are you teaching and, and what day, what panel? Are you on the Friday panel and when are you teaching? Make sure we don't miss you. I'm on the Friday panel, and then I'm teaching on okay. Sunday at okay. uh, 10.45 Pacific time and uh, 11.45 Mountain time. 10.45, yeah. 11.45. Oh, okay, 10.45 Mountain. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. And then what time is the is the Friday conversation, the, the wisdom um, panel? Uh, it's it's six, 6 o'clock. Yeah. 6 o'clock. Tell me again. It's at 7 my time. Okay, six and seven. Okay, excellent. Yes. Cool. All righty. Well, thank you so much, and have a good rest of the morning and rest of the day and, and week. And, thank yeah, looking you. forward to this week. And congratulations on 26 Collage, the African. I know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the tradition yes. continues. <laughs> yeah. it certainly thank does. you so it much for having us. Yeah, oh, you're quite welcome. You. Yes. Okay. <laughs> have a great day. You're welcome. Bye-bye. You too. Peace and blessings. Bye. Yeah. You do. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> ah, wow. So kind. So nice. There's so much. There's so many great programs that are happening. Um, don't forget the uh, Harriet's Gun. It continues for the second weekend um, uh, virtual. It's a dance brigade and is cur- curated by uh, Sarah uh, uh, Crowell and uh and Adia Whitaker and and Mama um or Queen Rodessa is um is stitching the elements together and if you missed last weekend last Friday, uh this this weekend it's it's on um Saturday the thirteenth, five o'clock and it is simply marvelous and I think it's like ten dollars. So you can get your ticket at um at Dance Brigade or Dance Mission and uh and make sure you don't miss it. All righty. Oh, our guest is in the studio. So let's say hello. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? Is this Sandra? 
Ms. Good Reiner? morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> oh, I am fine. Congratulations again on this award that you certainly deserve. Um, you know, for all of your wonderful work, um, you know, you are being recognized um, as a powerful woman of the Bay Area. <laughs> Well, Wanda, I tell you, it is indeed an honor, and I accept it humbly. And um, it's just been a journey that has evolved into a community of people Mm -hmm. who are invested in telling stories, telling good stories. And you Mm -hmm. are the pioneer among those of us telling good stories. So thank you as well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I mean, this, I could read a bio, but, hey, you're here. <laughs> Give us the highlights. You know, we got time. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> the bio may be helpful because when I look back on these past years <laughs> and mm-hmm. amassing a 30-year career here in California, the journey is marked by many things, many bench- benchmarks, Highs, mm-hmm. lows, in-betweens, but all along the way, it has been a fascinating and rewarding journey when people trust you to help them tell their story about the work they're doing or the people they are helping or the programs that have been instituted or the needs that still exist. So that has been the lion's share of the work we've done with nonprofits, small businesses, with corporations, municipalities, sports figures, entertainers. It's really a broad swath. So I feel it's just been really a a kaleidoscope of stories that we've worked on in one fashion or the other. Yeah, yeah. So so how does one get into um, public relations? Um, like was it a calling? Um mm-hmm. Um, I think for me it was a guided path, and I say mm-hmm. that because early on, just as a young person, mm-hmm. I always enjoyed writing, I enjoy telling stories, I enjoy the news, and I don't know if that made me a child nerd, but I've watched news as much as I watched any other thing, and I was fascinated by it and wanted to become uh, a television journalist. That was my desire as a child. Okay. Yeah. Interestingly, I grew up in the segregated South, and there was really no opportunity during that time to pursue the career, mm-hmm. or so it seemed. So when I went to college, Southern University, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah, I was noticing was, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, a, I'm a SWAC graduate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I every intention majoring in in journalism Mm -hmm. and a counselor said they thought a better career choice was to pursue a degree in computer science because that was the way of the future. And we're talking some years ago. Mm -hmm. And I did that and I worked in the computer science industry for a while. Uh, My first job was down in Clear Lake, Texas, a part of the NASA system and all of that, but quickly realized that truly was not my calling. Great experience, great opportunity, but that was not my calling. So a a good friend and colleague 
Sanceria Messiah Giles, who still owns the Houston Defender newspaper, had at the time we met worked for, she was actually transitioning from Xerox to owning the paper, to buying the paper. And we met in the office of a woman that was running for a local assembly um, post there in Houston. And I had said to her, oh, you know, I've always wanted to write for a paper, la, 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 la. And she says, well, when you're done here, then give me a call. And one thing led to another, and she was just a young woman herself, uh, turning the corner, had had a successful career at Xerox. She bought a paper, and she assembled a group of us who were just young and eager and wanted to do whatever we could do to be a part of the journalism community. So she allowed us to write as freelancers. She allowed us to be trained by a journalism professor, and she was assigned stories in rotation. And it was on-the-ground training, really, with the support of counselors that she brought in to make sure we knew how to do what we said we wanted to do. So there's where it started. And from there, which created – that was the first time I interviewed um, – the first well, some of my early stories – uh, was coming to America. Strangely enough, coming to America yeah, too. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, my first review was coming to America. Yeah. Wow. Now there's a two. <laughs> now there's a two. Coming so, to America. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I love that movie. Oh my goodness. Great movie. I haven't seen two yet, but I also remember Wynton Marsalis was coming about oh. during that time. And I Ooh. remember we got a chance to interview Nancy Wilson, and I got a chance Ooh. to interview uh, Police Chief Lee P. Brown, who was the first African-American police chief in Houston, who went on to become police chief himself, uh, mm. went on to become mayor. That's what it was. Interviewed wow. Kathy Whitmire, who was the first female mayor. So there was great opportunity. There was great opportunity with that one mm-hmm. newspaper, that one weekly African-American newspaper. Open yeah. Um, so it started there, but public relations to me was a byproduct of my love of journalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just sort of became a circuitous path to get mm-hmm. to where I am and have been for the past thirty years. Hmm. Yeah. Because I remember um, we ran into each other at my first, and I don't think I've ever been another junket, and I had never heard of the term. What in the heck is a junket, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um it was uh it was in Los Angeles and the film was um uh was finding one finding the way home, you know that that independent film. I think that yeah. was the film. Yeah, yeah, cuz Angela Bassett was she was she was the reason I was sitting in the room. And and I think she got upset and she didn't come. Uh, <laughs> but it was okay. Because it was just... Um, Wanda, I just mm-hmm. got to know that Kathy's trying to get in and she can't get through the line. Oh, because I don't see her. Okay. Um, hmm. I don't know what's happening there. I don't know. Yeah. Then maybe um, let me make me make sure she has, has the right number. Um, okay. Yeah. So um, let me uh, send her an email. Of course. I don't have a number for her, but I can email her. And, uh, yeah, Cause, you know, this technology, I don't have any control over the phone system. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, sometimes I hear hear people get messages. Um, oh well, that's good that um that she uh, is trying to get in. Yeah, she is. She's trying. And if you need me to, I can certainly um, shorten anything I need to say to allow her some time okay. since she's having technical difficulties. Okay. Yeah. Once she gets in, yeah, I I see a note from her. Um, Okay, so hopefully it'll work this time. Okay. So anyway. Yeah, so you were saying, we were talking about the junket um, and some of your more memorable early, early stories. Oh, it says line busy. Oh, man, it's not supposed to say that. (laughs) Okay, all right, so hopefully it it will clear up. Okay. Maybe it was a long jam. Wow, that could be a good problem. Mm, no. Nah. Uh, I mean, there's only two of us. I'm supposed to have my own line. Okay. <laughs> That's the well, whole I'm point. I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be positive. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so keep so, on yeah, talking. So I have, I've had a dual course in, in this journey. I have written about celebrities. I've interviewed over 500 celebrities for various media outlets. And I've also Mm. been on the other side of being a public relations representative for any number of personalities, businesses, you name it, cities, counties, that kind of thing. So I've been blessed, really, truly blessed to have had had to be on, on two sides of the spectrum, as it were. Very fulfilling, very rewarding, always supported by my family and friends. I've worked alongside some amazing people who helped me in the early stages build the PR business, who themselves have gone on to do great things. I'm really blessed, Wanda, and I just want to thank you again. I can't thank you enough for the footprint that you've created because none of us exist without the support of each other. So that is not lost on me or many of us, and I, I have to pay homage to you for allowing us just time to talk about this. You know, sometimes we're so busy working, we don't even know <laughs> the footprint we're creating because we're just doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is so true. Mm-hmm. And thank you yeah. to Kathy Adams for her vision to establish this platform to honor women in the workplace. Uh, yeah, the yeah, and... Right, and she's um you know, um, you know, honoring the legacy of of um you know, Miss Diane um Howard uh Howell, you know, and and her, you know, work uh in, in black business uh and entrepreneurship. I mean, yeah, um she was simply marvelous. I'm sure you have stories about, about her and her legacy. But there are so many of you all that are being honored as well. I mean, Kathy is being honored this twelfth uh, annual Powerful Women of the Bay Area luncheon. Um and she's CEO of C D A Consulting. Uh Lenise yeah. Jones, another powerhouse Bay Area yeah. executive director of um black women um of political action. And yes. uh, Treva Reed, and she's also, um, Denise is also, I think she's the director of the Peralta Foundation. Uh, and Treva Reed, council member of the city of Oakland, District 7, Mary Stutz, uh, SVP of corporate relations at um, Summit Vant um, Biopharma. Yeah, good luck. Uh, Janice Evans. <laughs> hmm, say it again. 
as a good luck with pronouncing that company that Mary's oh. with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Janice Evans Pay, CEO at Ties Network, Vera Mo- Vera Moore, market manager at JP Morgan Chase, Aaron um Artuleta, head of small business and community advocacy um at Square at Square. Uh Nichelle Rochelle Senior Manager of Community Relations at the Chloros Company, the Honorable Shane Fowl, District 4 a Council Member for the City of Oakland. So we have two Oakland Council persons. Uh, Honorable Lily May, Mayor of the City of Fremont, and um, yourself, President of Varna PR, and Brittany Doyle, Founder of Wise Health. Um, yeah, and this is um, on Friday again from 12 to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time, and it's going to be virtual. You're not going to actually be able to sit down and have lunch with all of these wonderful awardees, but you can be eating with them <laughs> as you're watching this in the virtual platform. And I'm looking to see how do people get tickets. Uh, oh, here it is. Um, it's going to be via Doom, uh, Zoom, so you purchase tickets at this um uh, I'm going to say it, and um, you could tell me, uh, Sandra, if there's somewhere where people can go to a website. But it's, uh, you know, HTTP, uh, uh, S colon forward slash bit dot L-Y Lee forward slash 3E1M5VR. Um, but I'm sure this should be somewhere. Is there a place people can go, like a website, where they can get tickets for yeah. the 12th Annual Powerful Women of the Bay Area Awards? Yes. If they were to do a search for Powerful Women of the Bay, then it would take you directly to the website, and all of the information is on the website. So do a search, Powerful Women of the Bay, pull it up, and the link (laughs) is right there. And I'm sending right. you to Powerful Women of the Bay because I, I want people to see the wealth and the talent of the organization, you know, get a mm-hmm. glimpse of what has been created and the many women out here doing great work. It's quite a cohort. Every year there's mm-hmm. an amazing cohort of women that are recognized for their contributions in the workspace. So, yes, please go and do a search, Powerful Women of the Bay, and all of the information is right there. Buy your tickets, eat lunch with us, celebrate with <laughs> us, and uh, let us continue to celebrate each other and our work. Mm, right, yeah, and and I'll link to it as well. Um, you know, here, um, you know, on on the on the uh, radio show um, description. Uh, yeah. So, um, talk to us a little bit more um, about about your work and uh, some of those highlights. I mean, I know you can't cover them all because you've been doing this work a little bit too long. Um, and we're looking like, where's the book? Where's the book, Sandra? Where's the book? It is, it we were the how-to book, right? <laughs> it is in the ma- I have two books in the making, and oh, I, I think I'm like the proverbial hair uh, hair salon owner. You're so busy doing everybody else's hair, you don't stop to do your own. <laughs> <laughs> and I've helped promote books and people, but I've got to I've got to get this work out because you're absolutely right, Wanda. I cannot do this in a vacuum. I don't do this in a vacuum. 
And we are a continuum. If we're anything as a community, we have to pass on what we've learned and we have to help others get to where we have ascended to. That's how I got there. Someone helped me, someone guided me, someone saw talent, recognized talent, encouraged me. And there are steps, there are techniques along the way. Mine came from a love of journalism and writing. I say to people all the time, learn how to write. I mean, it's not hard to do, but learn how to write. And, of course, there are people who have a special talent and a gift and can perfect it. But learn a a skill that is germane to the career you want. Everybody in PR doesn't write, but they may know how to organize stories. Research. Research is pivotal in our work because you have to present facts and data and you have to show patterns and and you have to be able to draw analysis. So research is a very vital skill in our business. Know how to engage with others. Know how to have a balanced conversation because you will have to train those who are unlearned the best technique for doing an interview. Know the business. Understand the news business as best as you can. Get, you know, get, become familiar because when you're talking to journalists and you want them to represent your client or do a story on your client, at least have an appreciation for who they are, stories they've done, how they work. Mm-hmm. Equip yourself with knowledge that will allow you to perfect your skill. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Yeah, yeah. Research is really, really important. Um, you know, you need to come to the conversation with, you know, some information, some background knowledge of, of the person or the work. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> what are you going to talk about? Yeah, and be mm-hmm. nice. I think that's an overlooked quality often. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. we get into these spaces of, you know, do this, do that. Be nice. Nice mm-hmm. has tremendous value. Right. Treat someone the way you want to be treated, and hopefully the way you want to be treated is nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Be nice. T- treat people in a manner that shows them respect and dignity. And that's at every level. It's just because you may be dealing with someone who is of a higher echelon does not mean that you treat them any differently than the person who's just starting out in their career. Be nice. Be respectful. You know, be yes. considerate. Mm-hmm. And where you can, be patient. And that does not mean that you'll always get it in return. But at least you can check off on your own list. I was courteous, Mm -hmm. I was patient, I was nice, I did the work. Because it will come back to you. It will come back to you. Mm -hmm. And the way you treat others is the way they will treat you. My parents taught me that. You know, elementary school teachers, create the path that you want to follow. That is important. That's basic. That's fundamental. Mm -hmm. Right. That's important. Mm Mm-hmm. And conversely, you know, have self-respect because you don't want people to think that you're there to do anything, everything at their beck and call. I tell people I don't have a beck and call rate because if I did, you could not afford it. You have to set up parameters. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. doesn't mean you don't work at odd hours. doesn't mean you don't work over the weekend. But you, you have to establish boundaries. Because people sometimes will tend to take advantage 
of your willingness to do a good job. So it's all about how we relate to each other. It's all about respect, mutual respect. Those things become part and parcel of any career you pursue, especially in public relations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know what was really was really wonderful because you got in touch with me with regards to um, um, the Oakland Theater Project, formerly Ubuntu, and I had missed the press release in January about um, – the uh, the play that was up at the 16th Street train station, um, and um, and it was really beautiful, and I was gonna miss it, <laughs> but because you know you have your you have your people, your go-to people, I saw it again yeah. when you sent it to me, and yeah. I was able to you know to attend and have um, and Stephanie um, Ann Johnson on my radio show, you know who was um. Yeah the uh, the writer and also the artist and designer for the work. Yeah, so um, so anyway, it, it, mm-hmm. yes, you know, yes. Wanda, so that was really wonderful. You bring up a good point about your go-to people, and you're on everybody's list that I know because <laughs> you take the time to listen. And even if you can't do something, you take the time to listen or you let us know, this is better for me. And that means a lot, especially when you're starting out. You have to establish relationships in this business. And you have to maintain those relationships. You have to make sure that you take care of your go-to people because they're there for you. And go-to people does not mean that you can abuse the relationship. It means that you value the relationship. And we need to redefine what go-to means. Go-to means this is someone that I've journeyed with, that has journeyed with me. They know me, I know them. And if they can do the story, they will do the story. So I think it's incumbent upon us to express that as well. Let me take a pause because I'm concerned that Kathy can't get in, and I do want her to share in this. Do you Um, want to... um, Well, what we're going to have to do is is we'll have to do something... um, another time because my next guest is is in the studio um <clears throat> and so we kind of run out of time so I don't know what happened with uh with Kathy but then it made me worry that maybe my other guest might not be able to get in so th- okay. my other guest was able to get in but Kathy you know got that busy signal so um mm. yeah so we'll have to do something else um another time you know with Kathy unfortunately well, Kathy, Kathy does many things, and there will be plenty of opportunities to talk about who she is with the Open African American <laughs> Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, she she is a very busy businesswoman. Wanda, thank mm-hmm. you. Can't thank you enough. Thank you for making the space and time. Oh, you're quite welcome, Sandra, and congratulations on the uh, the award. And you are certainly a, a strong Black woman as representing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. All right, you take care. You too. Peace and blessings. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. So, um, so Sister Michelle Browder, tell us about this phenomenal project where you are honoring these three black women who were enslaved and um you know, and basically sort of laid the ground literally for um what we know now um around the field of gynecology. And here mm. is the historian. 
Uh, JC, perfect timing. <laughs> good morning, JC Hallman. How are you? I'm very good. Great, great. So Michelle is with us, and I just asked her the question about, you know, these these women um, that you, um, you know, you have researched, particularly one woman in particular. And so why don't you just tell us the story, both of you, um, Michelle? Since you already already asked you the question, you want to talk a little bit about these three huge monuments that you are crafting right now in San Francisco you have on your well you took it off because you're on the phone with us but you know you had on your protective gear and your you know your welding all this metal together and making these monumental um honored honorable statues and monuments to these important women that no one knows yeah, yeah, and well, thank you for having us. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of rush through it because we have uh, people coming in to help us today, and I they're kind of looking at me like, "Will you hurry up?" So I'm just gonna um, give just a little bit of the history of what I've known of these women, and then I'll ask JC to close it off. And so basically, I have a tour company in Montgomery, Alabama, and as I did my research on the iconography that surrounded or just kind of littered our city, I just, you know, there's this narrative about James Marion Sims, who's a doctor that experimented on um, many women, not just her, and and enslaved men um, during the time of his uh, hospital, which was called the Negro Hospital. And, you know, you can't come to Montgomery and not discuss the statues because they're part of the landscape. And as I did my research, I just felt a heaviness in my spirit to start talking more so about the women. Uh, and I kind of dubbed them as the mothers of gynecology because on one of the markers that stands at the state capitol beside James Marion Sims, it talks about, um, or excuse me, in front of James Marion Sims. Actually, the marker is at his hospital, but it deems him as the father of gynecology. And so as I begin to talk more about the statues, I said, well, where are the mothers? If this is the father of gynecology, then where are the mothers? And this doctor has um, is known for the vaginal, uh, the vestio vaginal fistula experiments. And these women are from Alabama. Um, there's a few from Montgomery, Browns County, Macon County. And it was just important, I felt, to start telling their stories and sharing their truths about what really took place uh, with this legacy of slavery. And then with COVID and how it just kind of um, brought this issue to life about our healthcare system, something that black folks have always known, nothing new. Um, but it was just important for us to really start elevating these voices and amplifying them as more. So uh, the three of them that I've known about were uh, Anarcha Lucy and Betsy, and Anarcha at the time of her uh, vestial vaginal fistula, she was 17 at the time of her childbirth. And I thought, wow, this legacy of slavery is brutal, it's horrendous, and we need to start talking more about it because people are known for their uh, discoveries on the backs of enslaved African men, women, and children. And so uh, with that, I just started doing some in-depth research. And then in 2015, I met this gentleman by the name of J.C. Hallman, whom I'm asking me on with us on the show today because he's done some extensive work on history and has really brought out some uh, things that many people haven't gone as far as he has as it relates to the research. And, um, and so with that, uh, there has been a pride that I have uh, kind of – 
embraced in knowing these women more now intimately. I started my research on them about 10 years ago. Uh-oh. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it just sounds like. Um, so about 10 years ago, and so basically it has led us to this moment, and really we're in the right place at the right time because now the world is talking about the hair care, the disparities in health care, and how mm-hmm. black and brown people are affected by that. And so with that, you know, women's health. Right, reproduction justice, uh, reproductive justice is really what we're aiming for, and to, to talk about again these practices in healthcare that Black women have contributed forcibly been contributed to, uh, and so basically we're going to erect a monument. I had this drawing in my head about these women from ten years ago, and I'm, I'm an artist. I'm what Dr. King would call a creative extremist, and basically I will go through go to or go through the extremes of exposing injustice in any. But I use art history and courageous conversations to do that. And so we have three 15 feet tall, beautiful, broad, bodacious, um, voluptuous women that we are going to install in downtown Montgomery, Alabama, literally about a mile from where the plantation, where Anarcha um, was enslaved, and then literally about four to five blocks from where the doctor's Negro Hospital, James Marion Sims, it stands currently even today. Uh, mm. And so that's the work that we're doing, and we're going to um, take them back to Montgomery, Alabama, but we're traveling with them. We're having conversations. We're holding events in the space where we're constructing them. And so, uh, yeah, the rest is history, or will be anyway. <laughs> right. And and I know, you know, you're, like, you know, really busy, um, and I, I don't have anything. I don't know if um if JC has the documents that he could send me or tell us about how does how do people how does the public you know come to the the open studio aspect of the um of of the creation process where you are in San Francisco right now and then where are you going I know you're going to be going stopping on the way to Montgomery as you move you know these monuments to these three phenomenal woman women um Mm-hmm. Back home. Yeah, well, there's a Burning Man artist by the name of Dana Albany, and I was visiting San Francisco, and in in the park, I can't remember where it is, where this park is located, but my friends that I was visiting, they took me to this park, and we got a cup of coffee, but in the midst of this park is this beautiful statue named Tara. And made of, you know, mixed metals. And she's, I think she's about 23 feet tall. And I was like, oh, I was captivated because I thought, this is what I want Anarcha to look like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. This is what our women, uh, when you memorialize women and we speak their truths, um, because black women, as we know, have been discarded, removed, uh, silenced. Um, this is something that I would like to see done. Not knowing two weeks later, my friends will be sitting at the table of a woman by the name of Julie who was friends with the artist here. And lo and behold, they called me. She, We had a, a two-hour Zoom conversation, and she's like, I'm on board. And here we are a year later along with JC. And mm-hmm. JC has done a lot of uh, research on Anarcha, and I just wanted him to just kind of tell, you know, why is she or why is the subject so important? Because we discovered, you know, that they were nurses and uh, they would care for each other. So I just wanted him to briefly tell you some of the gems that we found out about these women. It, it just, it just it, you know, in a way to humanize them, if you don't mind. 
Oh no, sure, I don't thanks, mind at all. You. I just, I just, I just don't want you to just leave with with other questions oh, yeah, hanging. No, 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 but no, 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 no. Definitely, no, no. I don't mind us going back and forth at all. <laughs> so, JC, okay, so, tell so, us so, about no, you. how you came to know the women. Yeah, particularly the women yes, you've sure. you've been like doing seven years of research on. Yeah, so I I came across the story um, way back in 2015, um, approximately, and what um, became really apparent um, very early on was that even though, um, you know, J. Marion Sims had been under kind of some level of scrutiny from the scholarly community for some time, uh, that nobody had actually made an effort to see if any of the young women and Lucy and Betsy, who were known to have been the most prominent um, experimental subjects of the initial group of women that he was performing experiments on, nobody had actually made an effort to try to find them, to see if anything could be found of them. It was always the same story. They were illiterate. They couldn't tell their own stories. And so for half a century, as um, scholars and academics were reconsidering um, this history, we were sort of stuck with what this guy had said about them. And everyone knew that his work was not reliable. He was a kind of a P.T. Barnum sort of figure and exaggerated things dramatically, and that was all anybody knew. And um, and so I went down to Alabama to start digging in um, probate records and you know, private archives, sometimes private collections, to see um, if anything of these women could be found. And I decided to focus on Anarka because she had the very distinctive name and because she had been the um, the first woman with fistula that Sims saw. Uh, she experienced the most uh, experimental surgeries, 30, without the use of anesthesia and without consent. Uh, and um, And she was heralded as the first cure. And so Sims is the father of gynecology, so his big claim to fame was this cure that he was said to have created on Anarka. And meaning that that moment is kind of the birth of modern women's health, and uh, and no one knew what had happened to this woman. Uh, and so um, almost immediately in Alabama, I was able to find, you know, for the first time in, in, in many decades, um, the first... Uh, evidence of this woman's life that did not come from this guy. And uh, and so, you know, I began to piece together her story uh, to figure out that she did not stay in Alabama. She was sold. Um, that and, and most prominently that she was not truly cured. Um, and um, she, was, she endured even more experiments in Richmond and then in New York City. And I managed to recreate her entire life story all the way to... Um, to where she died in Virginia. And I actually managed even to find her gravesite in a remote forest in Virginia. It's a long story and, and, um, and many, many documents sort of um, create that kind of uh, skeletal trail of her life. And, and so I've been, I've been working on a book about all of this for some time and, uh, and that'll come out uh, next year. Uh, it's called the Anarchic oh. quest. And, uh, and, um, you know, the, the, somewhere along the line, you know, in, in my second or third, you know, I think there's been five total trips and months spent in Alabama, um, I met Michelle. And, um, huh. and you know, and, and way back in, in when Michelle first and I got, got in touch, nobody was talking about J. Marion Sims and, and Anarka. It was more or less she was doing her tours and I was doing my research. And, and even in Alabama, people were largely unaware of, of the story. 
Um, but that has changed dramatically <laughs> uh, in, 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 uh, in, in no small part to Michelle's efforts. Um, but there's other, other people who have been raising awareness about, about that story as well. And, um, and so I was invited to become one of uh, two historians attached to Michelle's project, which includes you know, not only the, the sculpture, um, the Mothers of Gynecology sculpture, but also you know, eventually a school and a museum. And in the museum, we're going to be able to tell um, the version of an archive story um, that's in my book, meaning that you know, for the first time, a, a version of this, of this woman's story will be able to be told that didn't just come from the guy who abused her. And, um, and this Michelle hinted at, you know, that one of the one of the amazing things about um, the story of, of all of these women in Arca, Lucy and Betsy and six or seven or eight others um, who were part of that initial group was that they all started to care for one another, right? They were living together in this Negro hospital, um, as Sims called it, and uh, uh, and they were caring for one another, and they they became um, uh, you know nurse assistants to some extent, and um, and that really stood out to me because I started looking into the the fistula crisis in Africa and in the developing world today. You know, after AIDS, the fistula crisis, the same condition that these women suffered from, um, uh, is is an ongoing crisis today, and. Uh, and actually, the thing that came out of the Alabama fistula experiments um, was not anything that this guy did, but it was what these young women did by living with, with one another, caring for one another, becoming skilled, you know, becoming medical assistants. Um, and that is the thing that is actually resonating around the world right now and helping women. So um, it's been part of my mission uh, to redirect credit for this from from Sims, who was this you know, very diabolical showman kind of figure, to these young women who are, you know, um, forgotten heroes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking um, when I, I read that, um, uh, as, as you said, you know, this diabolical character that is being honored in, in these various monuments uh, in, in Montgomery, that... Um, that it was fistula uh, because because I I know of fistula as um, what happens a lot of times when when girls are are are, may, are married off to older to to men and before they're able to be developed you know as as women you know they get pregnant and they have children or have a child and 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 they end up you know sort of the resulting um i guess i guess the harm on their body is that they end up having wound a wound that doesn't heal and and then also um you know women who've experienced um uh the the cutting you know that the ritual cutting and the sewing up of of girls in certain areas of the world um and that's also one of the things that can happen particularly after they have you know, a child, and they get cut open, and they get sewed back together. Um, and there's a lot of really wonderful work happening um, in these areas with some really phenomenal doctors that are, you know, not just trying to prevent this practice in the first place, but repairing, you know, the genitalia damage, you know, the vagina, you know, with the bladder and the vagina wherever possible. Um, and so I was just wondering when you talked about, 
you know, sort of the fistula crisis in in Africa. I was wondering, have you been able to like talk to any of these physicians in in East Africa and in Congo that are doing some really marvelous work? Um, yeah, I actually I, I went. I've been to to Africa for this book twice. I was in uh, Nigeria mm-hmm. and Uganda and in Ethiopia mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Um, there's a brand new hospital um, in in Uganda that is, you know, mm-hmm. was founded by a woman. It's the vision of a woman's. It's all the doctors are women, nurses are women, all the patients are women. It's like a, it's like a feminist utopia in in Uganda, and it just <laughs> opened in in 2019. Um, but yeah, there are there are many doctors, um, you know, all, all um, across Africa who are doing important work. There's Fakada Ayanachu in in Ethiopia and Sunday Langman in in Nigeria in particular. Um, but it's um, uh, it's important, you know, to to, to emphasize. And you really can't emphasize this enough that 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 Sims doesn't get credit for you know for having cured this. He didn't, in fact, cure it. And right. um, mm-hmm. uh, and even though that's the thing that's deeply embedded in the narrative, um, it, it's it's um, uh, it's it's the thing that really needs to be corrected. But on the other hand, this practice of um, taking the women who are who are suffering from this and giving them the opportunity to live with one another and care with one another and even achieve acquired uh, skills as health professionals, that is something that is really caught on all over Africa. Uh, and and so in, in Ethiopia, for example, at the Addis Ababa Fistula Hospital, there are more than 150 women who are working um, uh, in fistula centers around the country um, who are doing essentially exactly what Anarka uh, and Lucy and Betsy did, and um, uh, and you know and, and the, the next step from that is this hospital in Uganda, um, where the the whole place is entirely run by women, and um, and it's it's uh, there's a lot to talk about there. It's like a whole other show, <laughs> you know. <Yes>. But, but, <laughs> but basically, it's uh, um, it, you know it it is that. Um, not only did Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy um, help to found um, modern women's health as we know it, meaning that every woman alive today owes owes a little bit of a debt to them, um, but but also much more specifically that they pioneered this particular kind of of patient centered care that is, um, in spite of Sims, in spite of what he did that what they did is now helping hundreds of thousands, millions of women um, all across the developing world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, I, had, I have had shows about this because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of films made about it. And, and when I was in uh, Ethiopia, I wanted to go to the uh, the Fistula Hospital in Addis, um, but um, they wouldn't approve my my request to visit, so I'm glad you were well, able to go in there because I'd seen it in the film, but I couldn't get in there. They wouldn't let me. They wouldn't. They wouldn't say yes. Um, but I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you know to hear that things are things are continuing to go well there. Um, uh, I have I have another. I have a question about uh, Anarka An- Anarka, who you mentioned that you were able to, um, you know, sort of follow her, you know, past, you know, this this torturous. Um, ordeal in 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 you know Montgomery you know to other places where where she lived um i, I guess until she was free cuz she was all these women were really young like 17 and um right. they were very very young and and i wanted to yeah. know like for instance why did she have more operations were they 
did she consult with someone trying to get relief, or was she still owned and somebody was shipping her off somewhere because they wanted to be able to continue uh, exploiting her for monetary means as an enslaved person? Oh, so you you mean after the fact, after the Alabama official experiments and the exactly, subsequent experiments? Exactly. Yes. Right. Um, well, well, it's it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of guesswork, um, you know. But um, okay. I found her, um, uh, I found evidence of her at Woman's Hospital in New York City. So after Sims mm-hmm. left Alabama, he went to New York and he founded a place called Woman's Hospital. And Woman's Hospital started out as a kind of fistula clinic, but then you know went through kind of dramatic mission creep, and they started to do experiments on on for lots of different kinds of conditions, but but all mm-hmm. uh, gynecological in, in nature. Um, and eventually, cancer surgeries—they were—they were trying to do, um, you know, remove uterine tumors and 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 so on. Um, but the reason why um, Anarka um, is 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 getting more is experimented on again after the mm-hmm. fact, um, I believe, is is because Sims had already started telling the story of his career. He had already sort of built up this narrative that he had. You know, um, you know, worked for three and a half years, and every time he tells the story, it's always about how how difficult the work was for him, and how much money he had to invest in these surgeries, and 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 it's all about him, and mm-hmm. um, and everybody bought that. The whole world sort of bought this narrative of how he fought and persevered, and and um, uh, and of course, you know, he goes and he starts his own hospital, and then an Anarka, who is already you know the center of that story, right? She, the cure, her cure is the evidence of his greatness, and she turns up and she's not cured. And oh. what's he going to do, right? What what is he going to do if if the world learns that his first cure is not cured? Um, and so she winds up being experimented on in um, in Richmond, uh, Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, by a guy named Charles Bell Gibson. Um, who was a doctor who was known to have been performing Sims surgery after he published about it in 1852. Um, but he can't cure her either. Uh, and then she's, she's sent to a woman's hospital in New York where Sims experiments on her yet again. Um, but to answer your question just directly, he was trying to cover his tracks, um, that mm. his his whole legacy, his whole story um, was a card house that was beginning to crumble and tumble um, and uh, and he needed to um, uh, convince others around her uh, around um, around him that Anarka was actually cured but even documents I found later on show that even even after those experiments that she was not cured all the way up until the end of her life oh man what what happened to her, her baby um, well, which one? There, you know, I think. I, um, oh, I, she had, I think she had more than one. I, I just when I was looking, when I was reading, I, I read that, um, that after she had, I guess, her first baby, um, that was mm-hmm. when she, she didn't get well, and that was how, you know, right. the person who, who owned her, you know, ended up sending her to Sims, who, you know, basically was her new master. Right. Yeah, um, Sims, Sims leased the women that he was ex- he was experimenting on. He t- he didn't technically own them, you know, kind of a, it's 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 um, splitting hairs. Um, and um, but you know, she, you know, women who have an ongoing uh, fistula condition are are capable of of bearing children after the fact. Um, and mm-hmm. 
and you know particularly when that's your job right and when of course at this yeah. at this moment 1830s 1840s in Alabama the breeding programs were were running rampant on plantations and um and so um the documents that i found um suggest that anarcha had eight total pregnancies um really and, um, wow yeah and she um her first uh, baby it's unclear uh what happened to that child. I mean, it's something that is important to point out. Not all of her pregnancies were, were obstructed labor, um, but the first one definitely was. And mm-hmm. upwards of 90% of the time in, in obstructed labor, the baby dies. And, um, and so, um, so it's pretty unlikely that that first child lived. Um, okay. But, uh, but Sim, the way Sim's can, described can I, it. Can I ask a question? What, what do you mean by obstructed? obstructive labor um what do you mean by that right yeah so that's that's basically the the gist of obstetric fistula right and obstructed oh, labor okay. just sim- simply means the passenger too big for the passage right you either have right. an abnormally large baby in um in a in a in a normal sized woman or you have a very small woman as you were saying before it's often the case oh. that, that women who are premenstrual uh who are mm-hmm. very young um they they wind up with this condition just because they're they're not done growing they're small, and right they get um, they get torn up and stuff yeah mm-hmm. right right but basically it's a it's a um the the baby's too large and the press of the head uh, against the pubic bone um, as the the uterus is trying to push the baby out um, is um, uh, you know causes uh, the tissue in between the, the fetal head and the pubic bone. To suffer a kind of crush wound um, that, after mm-hmm. the fact, then sluts away and leaves a point of communication or a gap or a hole or a fistula, usually between the vagina and the bladder. And mm-hmm. um, and so um, so yeah, that's that's you know, that's what I mean by obstructed labor. And and so not all of Anarka's um, uh, pregnancies resulted in that, um, but that first one did, and and it, so it probably resulted in the death of that first child. Um, though other uh, other of her children did live and were with her when she died. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. My goodness. So, Michelle. Oh, Michelle is gone. <laughs> Do we lose Michelle? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When she talk, remember she said that there were people there. <laughs> Yeah, in, um, in, there in the, uh, in the in the in the in the studio where she is doing the welding. Yeah, well, I, can, wow. I can answer one of your earlier questions. You you asked about how can how can you follow, um, you know, what Michelle is doing right now because she's been planning yes. this mm-hmm. journey out to San Francisco for for a long time and um, mm-hmm. and you know and she'll be out there for about a month. Um, while yes, the I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Um, and there is a there's a Facebook page, Anarcha Lucy Betsy, oh, on Facebook, okay. where okay. you know that that people can follow. And and um, and Michelle is is fond of the live stream, so she does a lot of live streaming. You know, oh, okay. uh, that 
Yeah, yeah, and she's really good at it too, and um, and so um, so people who are interested um, can can follow the path of her journey not only through the process of creation of the mothers, that's what our group has has sort of come to to calling them. We just sort of shorthand it to the mothers and uh, and the creation of the mothers, and then and then that journey backward is all going to be documented, um, and uh, and you can find it on Facebook. Okay, so I'm trying to find it so that I can link to it. And so tell me again um, what the name of the. Uh, it of is Anarcha Lucy uh, Betsy. A N A R C A? All their names? A N L U C Y? A N A R C H A. Oh, C H A, that's why I'm not finding it. C H A, okay. And then Lucy, is there a comma or just, just the names just next to each other? Oh, there it just, is. Just I see it. There yeah. it is. I there found you go. it. Yeah. Okay. So you'll see there that that um, the beautiful logo that Michelle created, um, which is, you know, an, an approximation of what the of what the sculpture is going to look like, uh, and mm. uh, and there's a there's a lot of information there, and um, uh, and yeah, specifically created so that people can follow that story. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I just. I found it and then it said it can't find it, so I'm like, oh darn. So maybe you could email me, and and then I can sure. find it a little more easily. So, um, so are you in? Where are you? Are you in Alabama? Are you in Los Angeles? Are you in San Francisco Bay Area? Where are you located? Oh uh, well, right now, <laughs> right now I'm in New Hampshire. I'm I'm at an artist residency called McDowell in in New Hampshire, and um, okay. you know the. the the work for for this book, the Anarcha Quest, was really you know very very all consuming. One of the reasons that Anarcha had never been found was because you know in order to conduct that search, you know you just have to be you know on site for months. And so you know so uh, a few years ago I dragged all my furniture to the curb and put all my books in storage and and just sort of decided to dedicate myself to this project full time. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm still kind of on the move, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, right. I've now finished the book, but, but, I'm but I'm working on, um, you know, on, on the addendum, the notes section to really document all of the, all of the, um, the primary source material, you know, my book is going to be very much like a story, you know, it'll read like a, it'll read like a novel. Um, but, um, it's all based on, on all this archive, archival work. And so, um, so I, I do a lot of bouncing around and I've been, but in that time period, I've all, I've spent a lot of time, um, in Alabama, um, you know, to just be on site and to be in the, in the atmosphere in which these experiments took place. Right. Yeah. I found it. Um, I just went out and came back. Um, yeah. Cause I remember when I was in, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama for the first time. I had never been to Alabama, but I was there for the opening of the uh, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in the Legacy Museum from Slavery to Mass Incarceration. And a friend of mine, uh, Theodore um, Lush, he teaches at, um, I think, uh, Alabama State or the, the university that's right there in Montgomery. He teaches there, mm-hmm. and he's a scientist. And he, as a, he is a re- Relocated because of Katrina, uh, he was washed out of Louisiana, New Orleans, and and I'm I'm a New Orleans native too. So when I was there um, for that, some other friends, um, some other friends from from uh, Miami came up too, and we all got in Theodore's 
van and he took us around. And so one of the places that we went to look was at Sims um, offices because they're like right, right walking distance, right? And so, yeah. and um, and I had never heard of him before. Uh, so so when I I heard of you know this this project. Uh, when I someone sent me the information to read, yeah, I think Theodore sent me the article because they they know uh, Michelle. <laughs> uh, Theodore knows right. Michelle, and my other friend who's now in Detroit knows Michelle, and and so and I and my mother lives in L.A. and so I'm like, oh, wow, and I and I knew exactly. I could see I could see his offices because it's all preserved. Like he's some big deal, right. uh, someone to be honored, kind of big deal, as opposed to someone to be like, man, too bad you can't like go. Go back and arrest the spirit, right? <laughs> yeah. Because well, he really was horrible to these women. Oh, my goodness, 30 surgeries. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's interestingly the case that you can still find pe- today people who are very much in defense of of Sim's legacy. And mm-hmm. um, and to be sure, you know, there, there are a lot of thorny issues, um, you know, uh, complicated questions of consent and ethics. And, um, uh, but, you know, um, what I discovered when, when I started writing about Sims and, and, and my initial forays into Sims were about his monument in, in New York City. And um, and I, I started to research the history of that particular statue. And this was before the kind of national reckoning on race in the country really focused on, on monuments and Confederate statues started to come down. Um, but even as I started researching that statue and, and the Sims legacy, you know, what I, what I found was that if you dug a little deeper, you know, if you went beyond sort of the, the, the version of the narrative that winds up in newspapers, what you discovered was that just everything that this guy, um, claimed um you know as as his own invention or his own creation um as as the reason why he should be remembered all of it was false it was it was just amazing how you know you could just line them up one after the other he he said he did this he didn't do this he said he did this he didn't do that and it took a lot of forensic digging um you know to get to that point but um it's also the case that that you know most people don't do that kind of digging, and and that there are people, even today, who are very invested in some of the falsehoods about Sims, that are still out there um, about what his contributions were, and um, and so you know I think more me thinking even more broadly than the history of gynecology, um, you know the country right now is is um, is as I said is, it has this ongoing reckoning when it comes to, to race in this country and, and thinking about, you know, what our true history really is. And, um, and, and this was part of that, you know, that, that this guy's monuments, even though he had largely faded out of the modern mindset, his monuments were still there. And, um, and so reconsidering that legacy, choosing to redirect credit, uh, from him to the young women who, who, um, who performed such an important service um, is is part of is part of that larger that larger reckoning about um, recognizing that we've for a long time been living with some false histories and um, and and in and in this particular case with with Sims it was just it was so easy to document if you were just willing to 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 dive in and, and do that forensic level research. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, I, I found the the website uh, as well. Um, okay. It's, you know, from from the um, uh, from the Facebook, <laughs> and I and I okay. see your your post there as well. And because I was like, whoa, how how do I get a T-shirt? And so um, anyway, <laughs> I, I see all these people in these yeah. really cool T-shirts that are are like the uh, official uh, logo and. Um, you know, brand for the project is like, well, yeah, I'm really looking forward yeah. to your book. Wow, wow, what a journey! So, so you didn't find any any living ancestors um, or descendants, I should say, of of any of the women. Well, Betsy and Lucy were were much more difficult um, to 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 track because. You know, um, uh, first, I, 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 you know, largely narrowed my scope to Anarka because, you know, okay. she was the most important of of the women, and um, and also because you know it, her name was going to make her easier to find. You know, and whereas, you know, when you look at old plantation records, you know, there, there might be two or three Betsy's on every plantation you look at. You know, and and so how would you know? How could, how could you possibly have any level of certainty? Um, it does seem like um, Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy, after the fistula experiments in Alabama, did all go to the same plantation afterward. Um, but I don't know what happens to Betsy and Lucy after that. Um, Betsy was married prior to the fistula experiments, um, but um, there's no guarantee that she was actually returned uh, to her husband or that her husband would have been someone of her choosing uh, and And uh, so, um, so it's, it's hard to, to, to say uh, um, about them. Right, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, well I'm so happy that, um, you know, that you were so moved, you know, to, uh, you know, for Anaka to, you know, to, to get you to, like, tell her story. And then you know for um, you to meet Michelle, you know, so it's like a great, <laughs> great it was, team. It was, all, it was all really fortuitous, and and, um, and and it's been an honor to to be part of of her team, you know, because it's not just um, Michelle and, and and I; it's a whole big group of people, and who are you know are adding a whole variety of skills, and and um, and that group is kind of is kind of growing all the time, you know. There's you know on the Betsy dot org website, um, there's mm-hmm. you know the opportunity to you know to stay in touch, to make donations. There's a brick campaign so that people can sponsor. Right. Um, bricks that are going actually going to be built into the sculpture, the base of the sculpture, um, and you know, so so the the group Michelle calls us all doulas, which is a which is a term for midwives. Oh, nice! And, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the, the the doula faction is growing, you know, day by day, and um, mm-hmm. and. Now, Michelle is just such a is 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 a force in Montgomery. Everybody knows her. She did a really remarkable um, Black Lives Matter mural back on Juneteenth in uh, in mm. 2020, and um, really put Montgomery on the map in in uh, in a way that it hadn't been before. Um, you know, obviously it was the birth of civil rights, but it had been a very sleepy town for for a long long time, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and Michelle just refused to accept that. You know, so so even when I first started, and and you know, and there were um, 
many many women and and and, uh, and activist groups in New York that have been protesting the monument in in the Sims monument in New York for ten years that have been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 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 Alabama, nobody you know, nobody was paying attention. They had they had a Sims monument too, um, and, right. and very few people were were even aware that it was there. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and you know and Michelle just you know. <laughs> she refused to take that no for an answer. <laughs> you know, um, she's like, "Wake and, up, folks!" <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And she's she's really good about that. And so, so I was just thrilled when she asked me to be part of the of the group. And, um, and you know, and as I, I think I said before, you know, that that the, the work I've been doing is going to enable us to tell a version of the Narca story um, uh, that hasn't ever been told before. And of course, Anarka is is um, is is just a symbol. She's a symbol of all of the women who were part of those experiments, the women who came um, after the experiments and women who were experimented on by um, doctors other than Sims because he wasn't alone um, in employing um, enslaved persons for surgical experimentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and the whole idea that, you know, black people don't feel pain, that's something that is still... um, uh, Something that you know the medical professionals being trained still believe they believe that um, they undermedicate um, people of African descent to date. They gave a friend of mine who had cancer treatment asked to take aspirin. Um, right. So I mean, we just saw uh, the, the still, tragic story mm-hmm. of Susan Moore in Indiana. You know the mm-hmm. um, who was mm-hmm. a physician herself. You know and yeah. was dying. And they didn't believe her, and when she was when she was telling them that she was in pain, it's uh, um, it's remarkable, you know that that um, you know it's 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 a it's very it's it's very interesting in the context in the context of Sims because um, uh, Sims didn't speak to that one way or the other. He did, he described some of the, the the enslaved women that he experimented on as being in incredible pain, um, but he didn't ever say that one way or the other. But the person who did mm. say it, not, mm-hmm. not in 1849 or 1850, but in 1950, was mm. Sims' biographer. His one former oh. mm. And he said it unequivocally. He said exactly that. And that, mm. um, that African-American women had a tolerance to pain that had been bred into them by 400 years of bondage, blah, blah, blah. And, um, uh, and that's, that's, you know, that's not... 100 and 200 years removed from us. That's 70 years removed from us. Yeah, that's recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and that's you know that's the guy who was who, who wrote what is till now Sims' only full-length biography, and mm-hmm. um, and he was he was a big champion not only of Sims but of of at least two of the monuments that that exist to him today, and. Um, and so, you know, in a very real way, my work has been an attempt to undo not only Sims' work, but that guy's as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was wondering, um, since you're more familiar with the uh, the website than I am and the Facebook page, uh, could you tell um, the audience how, you know, sort of what the schedule is? I know Sunday is by appointment, but Saturday there's some time slots where people can can go and watch um, or look at the work as it has developed to this point. And and then also um, Michelle had mentioned that people are donating um, metal to go into the the making of these big pieces. 
Yeah, I can't speak to the dates because I'm not in San Francisco, so I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not part of that. But uh, yeah, but I know that both in San Francisco and um, and eventually in Alabama, because the 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 mothers this the the sculpture is not going to be completed in San Francisco. Um, oh, they're, they are. They're, okay. I believe. I believe they're doing a lot of work on the bodies, um, mm-hmm. and but it, they need to be disassembled, you know, for the, for the transit back to Alabama, um, mm-hmm. and and so there was, there's going to be additional work um, in uh, um, in Alabama as well. But yeah, Michelle has put out a kind of cattle call um, request for anybody to you know who has um, you know kind of you know large pieces of metal that that, that could be melted down or otherwise employed. Um, in in the creation of the sculpture and um, and I know there's going to be in Alabama there's going to be welding classes for people who want to come and even, even participate um, because it's a, it's very oh, much really? a community yeah there's it's very oh, much a community oh. thing and so so um, mm-hmm. you know and that's not my part of it I'm the I'm I'm one of just two historians on the project you know so so I, I no no I, I, worry so about I meant that you were organizing it but I thought maybe you might know where it is, like you could just read it to us. Because <laughs> you said that all this information is on the website or here, and I'm like, I'm not seeing it because I don't have time to, like, figure it out right now. So that's why I thought maybe you might know, be able to read it to us. Because I know she said on Saturday there were some times, every Saturday that they're here, there's going to be a time for people to be able to come and, and, and look at what's happening, what's going on so far. And then on Sunday it's by appointment. So I was just wondering if you, Right. If you had known where that was on the website, but that's okay. I will um, I will call Michelle back and ask her to send me that flyer that I haven't gotten yet. Sure. <laughs> okay, great. No, yeah, I mean, I, no I would imagine that that they're just following that Facebook page that that you know that kind of stuff will be posted there. That there there are there are doulas, there are members of the team who are who are um, you know sort of part of the 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 the, the social media. Um, campaign, and I'm, they're going to be on that, I'm sure. Okay. All right. Cool. Because Saturday's coming quickly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm really happy that um, that San Francisco is a stop on the on the journey home. That is so cool. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. 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 That that was um, and that's because of the, the artist Dana Albany that that Michelle mentioned. Right. You know Dana's <laughs> Dana's base yeah. there. And, you know, and, and her um, her workshop. You know, Dana works in these really, really large scale, um, you know, metal sculptures. And um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, um, when Dana agreed to be part of the team, um, mm-hmm. that it was it was more or less ordained that you know a lot of the work was going to be happening there. <laughs> cool, cool. And uh, and what's the name of the statue that um, that Michelle referenced that Dana that's Dana's work. That like that's what I'm looking for. Um, Tara. What, she's, I, she's referring to Tara. T A R A. T A R A. Yeah. And, okay. Um, and if you Google, it's it's on the main. Uh, there's an image of Tara on the main anarcholucybetsy.org page. If you just sort of scroll down the main page, um, okay. there you'll you'll see. Uh, Dana Albany's not only Tara, but she also did a um, a mammoth, like a woolly mammoth in metal, and um, uh, and you'll see both of those, and 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 that's the style that um, the Mothers of Gynecology Monument is gonna is going to emulate, 
And um, so you can see it there, but also, you know, I mean, Dana, Dana has a website herself. Okay. All right. Excellent. Oh, this has been so wonderful. I'm so happy that, um, uh, that Michelle invited, um, you know, um, one of the two of you <laughs> historians to join us, and I'm so happy you were available. Really, really fascinating. We'll definitely have you on again. Um, you know, when your book, um, you know, is is launched, and um, yeah, maybe we might have, maybe you might be coming here with a tour, which would be kind of cool. That, or maybe we'll be moving be around, and I can come back to uh, we can maybe meet up in uh, Montgomery. I would love that. <laughs> That would be really super as well. Well, good luck on everything, and uh, let's certainly stay in touch. Yes, thank you so much. Sure. Is there anything else that that you didn't get a chance to touch on? Um, oh, I know what I wanted to mention before before you do, you do let me know if there's anything else that you wanted to say that we might have not gotten to. Um, when we ta- you talked about sort of the magic and the synergy around your and Michelle's. Um, uh, you know, coming together to work together. Uh, I was just thinking about um, Henrietta Lacks, another one of those women who is so foundational to the American Medical Association, and I, I actually call her the mother of modern medicine. Um, um, you know, she, you know, Henrietta Lacks, uh, because of her immortal cells, she never dies. Like, she's still with us because she shows up in anything and everything. <laughs> you know, when you're talking about, you know, um, you know, cell culture, and 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 so in the book um that uh Rebecca Sloot you know wrote uh, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks you know with of course um Henrietta Lacks's you know lovely daughter Deborah's support um and and um and assistance you know all the way you know through um and I was just thinking about the magic there um you know the magic in 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 um Rebecca meeting Deborah and it working out you know well Rebecca first getting you know the idea that she wanted to do this when all they knew of of, of um, Henrietta Lacks was this photograph, and, and when she was a kid, and then later on when she's a grown person, following that through, and then here you are, seven years, right? <laughs> seven years, yeah. you know, sort of following this woman's uh, life, you know, um, tributary. I mean, it was really, really, right. really scanty. You could barely see the water, but you were like. You knew it was there even when you couldn't see the water, and and then you meet Michelle, and it's like it is what it is presently. You know something really public and big and beautiful. You know the potential, right? And so anyway, I just thought that when you were saying that, and I just that's what I wanted to say. And I know you know Rebecca. I know you know Henrietta Lacks' story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and of course, you know the the similarities of the two stories was was not lost on me from the very beginning. In fact, there was a mm-hmm. there was a. Um, uh, there was a story. There was a New York Times story that that more or less mentioned Anarka and Henrietta Lacks in the same sentence. Um, mm-hmm. Going back, so so the the Times reporter who who had done who had done this had actually done some serious digging and had turned that up. But it, but of course it had attached her plantation name to her, so she was there known as Anarka Westcott. And um, you know, and and even right now there's a there's a Wikipedia page um, for Anarka Westcott. Part of the story, but um, in fact, um, what mm-hmm. my work uh, revealed was that Anarka didn't stay in Alabama. She certainly didn't take her plantation owner's name um, uh, at emancipation. She wasn't in Alabama at emancipation. And um, I did, uh, you know, find the, the name that she died with, 
um, mm. but it was it was not Westcott, and so um, so there was still a lot to, a lot to learn about her, but um, but you know, for some time that that parallel. Um, between Henrietta Lacks and Anarka um, has has been has been out there, and um, so yeah, you know that that had had certainly um, occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, well, the parallel for me um, beyond you know the the literal parallel was the magic between you and Michelle connecting. That oh, was sure, magic. yeah. <laughs> That's the man. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember <laughs> that, you know, yeah, I remember quite. We were, we were introduced by a mutual friend in Montgomery. I was um, mm-hmm. I was staying in a um, at a at a in a room above a, a, a new tavern in in Montgomery, and Miss um, Ellen knows everybody in Montgomery at this point. I mean, yeah. she is she is uh, kind of an embodiment of the town, and and um, and so um, this gentleman knew about what Michelle was doing, knew the tours that she was giving, and he knew what I was doing. And 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 uh, he just introduced us on on uh, the porch of his house one day, and um, um, and Michelle and I have been in each other's orbit ever since. And um, mm-hmm. and it, it is a kind of it's a kind of perfect matching. You know, I I do all that sort of forensic, you know, hardcore digging in libraries kind of work, um, and Michelle is out there, you know making a difference in the world, you know. And so, um, and um, you know, and for a project like this, you really need both. Right, right, and and what um what is um Anarka's um what was the name that she had when she uh, made a transition? She's uh, Jackson. Yeah. She um uh, she uh she was married um kind of informally uh, toward the end of her life to a man named Lorenzo Jackson, and um, you asked earlier about about descendants, and I think I actually skipped over mentioning that and. Um, she had three living children with her when she died: uh, Delia, mm. William, and Oliver. And um, and I managed to to trace Delia, and um, and she appears to have died childless in Washington D.C. Uh, mm. in the 1920s. I think I'm not sure about the exact um, the exact date of her death, um, but she was married a couple of times and. Um, and then died and was buried in um, um, in a in a graveyard that was that was then um, moved and then turned into a park. So it's underneath the park. There were fifty nine thousand graves in the in the cemetery. Fifty nine thousand? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. And then they they moved it, but they only mm-hmm. moved two thousand graves. Uh, That's and, all. Yeah. Yeah, and oh. um, and so those graves are still underneath of this park in Washington D.C., and mm. um, and that's where Erica's daughter is, and um, mm. and then I th- I believe that one of her sons um, died young, William. I believe he died as a teenager, and mm. um, and Oliver Jackson. I've just not been able to follow. I think the name's a little bit too ordinary. And I thought I thought I was onto it at one point, but it turns out to have been a different Oliver Jackson. So, so, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't think that story is over. You know, I think it's still possible that um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that that either myself or somebody um, can can find that um, that person, and then maybe yeah. um, eventually would lead us to descendants. That would be amazing. Oh, that would be really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. What park is is are all these these graves under? 
I forget the name of the park, but the the, the cemetery was called Payne, I believe, P-A-Y-N-E. And uh, I'm not 100% sure because, you know, for a long time there, I, all, I, was, I was just, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week on the book. <laughs> that was all I did. And, and so, you know, sometimes I would do this other genealogical digging, you know, if I had a, if I had a spare moment, you know. So it wasn't, it wasn't the, the core part of my, my, my book is it ends long, long before any of that happens. But, but oh, um, okay. I don't, I don't think I'm done with that. You know, I think that eventually I'll, I'll turn back to that and try to find out more, but, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's, um, that's something that, that um, deserves to be, you know, more widely known as well. As I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of people are going to that park and enjoying it and without realizing um, that they're, they're, they're on top of an African-American cemetery. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and and uh, you know we don't know we don't know much about you because we didn't talk about you we talked about your research, and I just wanted to ask you um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know sort of like how how could you afford to do this like are you an independent scholar and wealthy? <laughs> um, uh, no, I'm not. Um, you know, I, I um, uh, it it was one of those kind of you know all in put it on your credit card kind of things for me. Um, and, mm. and I don't, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to make too much of that. Um, but you know, it was, you know, something that is still the case that, that, um, you know, to invest, you know, what resources I have to, you know, to help history bend toward justice a little bit. Um, that mm-hmm. is a, that is a pretty good use of, of my time and, and my experience. I think when I, when I heard about the story and, and I realized, you know, I could do this. Nobody's done it, and I could do it. And it would take a, mm. a lot from me. Um, but you know, um, it's uh, it it would it would be worth it. And um, and of course, you know, having been um, you know to the developing world a couple of times as part of the research mm-hmm. that um, I'm of course you know only too cognizant of the fact that it that even if uh, it takes a lot of um, a lot of, of um, sacrifice from me um, and a lot of, you know, couch surfing on friends, you know, on, on, in friends' houses so I can keep going. Um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm still pretty wealthy, <laughs> you know, globally considered. And, um, mm. and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, I think, I'm, I think, every, you know, writers are always like looking for the kinds of projects that can, um, give them that sense of of having, in some small way, made the world a better place, and mm-hmm. um, and and in this case, it was it was that recognizing that there was this um, this travesty in in the history that needed undone, and um, and and then recognizing that I had the skills, I had the you know I, I knew how to do it, and um, and I had the time, and I could do it, and uh, mm-hmm. and so I did. Right. Yeah. This is really marvelous. Um, why don't you give folks your website so they can stay posted on when the book's going to be released? Sure. Um, yeah. It's um, my my. Uh, it's just my name. So my name is J C Hallman, and so the website is J C H A L L M A N dot com. And the book is the Anarcha Quest, and it is scheduled uh, for release um, about a year from today. A year from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Women's History Month. Um, 
2022. Okay. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Yeah. So is there anything that I didn't ask you about um, or that you didn't share already um, that you want to say in closing? Uh, I think we've been pretty comprehensive. I would just encourage people to check out Michelle's project, and and uh, if you can find a way to make a contribution, either with money to help help to buy a brick for in in honor of a woman in your life, um, um, or you know in you know sending a big chunk of metal <laughs> that can become part of the part of the monument. Um, you know, please do find a way to contribute because that that project is um, uh, is is as worthy as they come. Oh yeah, certainly. I totally agree. So so wonderful, you know, to honor you know these these black women. Um, yeah, and 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 the the statues you know that are being created right now are just going to be so magnificent. And oh my right. gosh, I can hardly wait to see them like installed. It's like oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna. I mean, maybe that's a that's a kind of five five points to make is is that um, the the groundbreaking for the monument is going to take place on May 9th. Um, and oh. this is not the installation of the monument, but but the the, the um, groundbreaking for the monument will take place in Montgomery on May 9th, which is Mother's Day. Uh, so the mothers right, will exactly. be uh, will be set in set in place. The beginning of that will be happening on May 9th. Wow, that's so cool. Oh, that's going to yeah. be really awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. What a right. what a what a fitting fitting um uh you know plan, you know, for the mothers. Right. <laughs> yes. yes. Mothers of gynecology, right. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, again, thank you so much for for joining us today to talk about this wonderful collaboration. Um it takes a lot of people to do things like this. And um and yeah, thank you so much for your for your scholarship and for your tenacity in getting this story so that you know you can share with with the world. Yeah, we really appreciate well, thank it. You. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and I will offer a thank you to you on behalf of Michelle, who I'm sure even now is wearing a welding mask and and at work on building the mothers. <laughs> All right, you take good care. <laughs> okay. Bye bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. So let's see. What are we kind of in? I think we need to end with a song. What song, right? <laughs> um, let's see. Got this song here, um, Barbara Bodine and the Trees. I think it's pretty nice. So I am going to play it. And uh, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. And wow, what a beautiful, beautiful story. <laughs> <laughs> 